chapter three of young people's treasury volume six famous travels and adventures by hamilton wright maybe this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by betty b first voyage of columbus it was on friday august third fourteen ninety two early in the morning that columbus set sail from the bar of saltus a small island formed by the arms of the odiel in front of the town of Huelva, and steered in a southwesterly direction for the canary islands whence it was his intention to strike due west as a guide by which to sail he had prepared a map or chart improved upon that sent him by paolo toscanelli the exultation of columbus at finding himself after so many years of baffled hopes fairly launched on his grand enterprise was checked by his want of confidence in the resolution and perseverance of his crews symptoms soon appeared to warrant his apprehensions on the third day the pinta made signal of distress her rudder was discovered to be broken and unhung this columbus surmised to be done through the contrivance of the owners of the caravel gomez rascon and cristoval quintero to disable their vessel and cause her to be left behind they had been pressed into service greatly against their will and their caravel seized upon for the expedition in conformity to the royal orders columbus was much disturbed at this occurrence the wind was blowing strongly at the time so he could not assist her without endangering his own vessel fortunately martin alonzo pinzon commanded the pinta and being an able seaman succeeded in securing the rudder with cords this however was but a temporary expedient the fastings gave way on the following day and the other ships had to shorten sail until the rudder could be secured this damaged state of the pinta as well as her being in a leaky condition determined the admiral to touch at the canary islands and seek a vessel to replace her they reached there on the ninth and were detained three weeks seeking in vain another vessel they were obliged therefore to make a new rudder for the pinta and repair her for the voyage the latine sails of the nina were also altered into square sails that she might work more steadily and securely and be able to keep company with the other vessels early on september sixth columbus set sail from the island of gomera and now might be said first to strike into the region of discovery for three days a provoking calm kept the vessels loitering with flagging sails but on the ninth a breeze sprang up with the sun their sails were once more filled and in the course of the day the last trace of land faded from the horizon and the hearts of the crews failed them the admiral tried in every way to soothe their distress he described to them the magnificent countries to which he was about to conduct them and promised them land and riches he issued orders to the commanders of the other vessels that in the event of separation by any accident they should continue directly westward but that after sailing seven hundred leagues they should lay by from midnight until daylight as about that distance he confidently expected to find land he then resorted to stratagem and kept two reckonings one correct and which was retained in secret for his own government in the other which was open to general inspection a number of leagues was daily subtracted from the sailing of the ship so that the crews were kept in ignorance of the real distance they had advanced 
on the thirteenth of september being about two hundred leagues from the canary islands columbus noticed the variation of the needle a phenomenon which had never before been remarked he perceived about nightfall that the needle instead of pointing to the north star varied about half a point or between five and six degrees to the northwest and still more on the following day struck with this circumstance he observed it attentively for three days and found that the variation increased as he advanced he at first made no mention of this phenomenon knowing how ready his people were to take alarm but it soon attracted the attention of the pilots and filled them with consternation they apprehended that the compass was about to lose its mysterious virtues and without this guide what was to become of them in a vast and trackless ocean columbus tasked his science and ingenuity for reasons with which to allay their terror he observed that the direction of the needle was not to the polar star but to some fixed and invisible point the variation therefore was not caused by any fallacy in the compass but by the movement of the north star itself which like the other heavenly bodies had its changes and revolutions and every day described a circle round the pole the high opinion which the pilots entertained of columbus as a profound astronomer gave weight to this theory and their alarm subsided on september fourteenth the voyagers were rejoiced by the sight of what they considered harbingers of land a heron and a tropical bird hovered about the ships they had now arrived within the influence of the trade wind with this propitious breeze directly aft they were wafted gently but speedily over a tranquil sea notwithstanding columbus's precaution to keep the people ignorant of the distance they had sailed they were now growing extremely uneasy at the length of the voyage it is true they had been flattered by various indications of land and still others were occurring but all mocked them with vain hopes on september twenty fifth the wind being favorable they continued their course directly to the west for several days they continued on with the same propitious breeze tranquil sea and mild delightful weather on october second the weeds seemed floated from east to west and on the third day no birds were to be seen the crews now began to fear that they had passed between islands from one to the other of which the birds had been flying columbus had also some doubts of the kind but refused to alter his westward course until october seventh when he altered his course to the west-southwest for three days they stood in this direction and the further they went the more frequent and encouraging were the signs of land the herbage which floated by was fresh and green as if recently from land tunnyfish played about the smooth sea and a heron a pelican and a duck were seen all bound in the same direction all these however were regarded by the crews as so many delusions beguiling them on to destruction and when on the third day they beheld the sun go down upon a shoreless ocean they broke forth into turbulent clamour they insisted upon turning homeward and abandoning the voyage as hopeless but columbus told them it was useless to murmur the expedition had been sent by the sovereigns to seek the indies and happen what might he was determined to persevere until by the blessing of god he should accomplish the enterprise the landing of columbus columbus was now at open defiance with his crew and his situation became desperate fortunately the manifestations of the vicinity of land 
were such on the following day as to no longer to admit a doubt beside a quantity of fresh weeds such as grow in waters they saw a green fish of a kind which keeps about rocks then a branch of thorn with berries on it and recently separated from the tree floated by them then they picked up a reed a small board and above all a staff artificially carved all gloom and mutiny now gave way to sanguine expectation and throughout the day each one was eagerly on the watch in hopes of being the first to discover the long sought-for land in the evening when according to invariable custom on board of the admiral's ship the mariners had sung the salve regina or vesper hymn to the virgin he made an impressive address to his crew he pointed out the goodness of god in thus conducting them by soft and favoring breezes across a tranquil ocean cheering their hopes continually with fresh signs increasing as their fears augmented and thus leading and guiding them to a promised land he now reminded them of the orders he had given on leaving the canaries that after sailing westward seven hundred leagues they should not make sail after midnight present appearances authorized such a precaution he thought it probable that they would make land that very night he ordered therefore a vigilant lookout to be kept from the forecastle promising to whosoever should make the discovery a doublet of velvet in addition to the pension to be given by the sovereigns the breeze had been fresh all day with more sea than usual and they had made great progress at sunset they had stood again to the west and were ploughing the waves at a rapid rate the pinta keeping the lead from her superior sailing the greatest admiration prevailed throughout the ships not an eye was closed that night as the evening darkened columbus took his station on the top of the castle or cabin on the high poop of his vessel ranging his eye along the dusky horizon and maintaining an intense and unremitting watch about ten o'clock he thought he beheld a light glimmering at a great distance fearing his eager hopes might deceive him he called to pedro gutierrez gentleman of the king's bedchamber and inquired whether he saw such a light the latter replied in the affirmative doubtful whether it might not yet be some delusion of the fancy columbus called rodrigo sanchez of segovia and made the same inquiry by the time the latter had ascended the roundhouse the light had disappeared they saw it once or twice afterwards in sudden and passing gleams as if it were a torch in the bark of a fisherman rising and sinking with the waves or in the hand of some person on shore borne up and down as he walked from house to house so transient and uncertain were these gleams that few attached any importance to them columbus however considered them as certain signs of land and moreover that the land was inhabited they continued their course until two in the morning when a gun from the pinta gave the joyful signal of land it was first described by a mariner named rodrigo de triana but the reward was afterwards adjudged to the admiral for having previously perceived the light the land was now clearly seen about two leagues distant whereupon they took in sail and lay to waiting impatiently for the dawn the thoughts and feelings of columbus in this little space of time must have been tumultuous and intense at length in spite of every difficulty and danger he had accomplished his object the great mystery of the ocean was revealed his theory which had been the scoff of sages 
was triumphantly established he had secured to himself a glory durable as the world itself it is difficult to conceive the feelings of such a man at such a moment or the conjectures which must have thronged upon his mind as to the land before him covered with darkness that it was fruitful was evident from the vegetables which floated from its shores he thought too that he perceived the fragrance of aromatic groves the moving light he had beheld proved it the residence of man but what were its inhabitants were they like those of the other parts of the globe or were they some strange and monstrous race such as the imagination was prone in those times to give to all remote and unknown regions had he come upon some wild island far in the indian sea or was this the famed chipango itself the object of his golden fancies a thousand speculations of the kind must have swarmed upon him as with his anxious crews he waited for the night to pass away wondering whether the morning light would reveal a savage wilderness or dawn upon spicy groves and glittering fanes and gilded cities and all the splendor of oriental civilization it was on friday morning the twelfth of october that columbus first beheld the new world as the day dawned he saw before him a level island several leagues in extent and covered with trees like a continual orchard though apparently uncultivated it was populous for the inhabitants were seen issuing from all parts of the woods and running to the shore they were perfectly naked and as they stood gazing at the ships appeared by their attitudes and gestures to be lost in astonishment columbus made signal for the ships to cast anchor and the boats to be manned and armed he entered his own boat richly attired in scarlet and holding the royal standard while martin alonso pinzon and vincente yanez his brother put off in company in their boats each with a banner of the enterprise emblazoned with a green cross having on either side the letters f and y the initials of the castilian monarchs fernando and isabel surmounted by crowns as he approached the shore columbus who was disposed for all kinds of agreeable impressions was delighted with the purity and suavity of the atmosphere the crystal transparency of the sea and the extraordinary beauty of the vegetation he beheld also fruits of an unknown kind upon the trees which overhung the shores on landing he threw himself on his knees kissed the earth and returned thanks to god with tears of joy his example was followed by the rest whose hearts indeed overflowed with the same feelings of gratitude columbus then rising drew his sword displayed the royal standard and assembling round him the two captains with rodrigo de escobedo notary of the armament rodrigo sanchez and the rest who had landed he took solemn possession in the name of the castilian sovereigns giving the island the name of san salvador having complied with the requisite forms and ceremonies he called upon all present to take the oath of obedience to him as admiral and viceroy representing the persons of the sovereigns the feelings of the crew now burst forth in the most extravagant transports they had recently considered themselves devoted men hurrying forward to destruction they now looked upon themselves as favorites of fortune and gave themselves up to the most unbounded joy they thronged around the admiral with overflowing zeal some embracing him others kissing his hands those who had been most mutinous 
and turbulent during the voyage were now most devoted and enthusiastic some begged favors of him as if he had already wealth and honors in his gift many abject spirits who had outraged him by their insolence now crouched at his feet begging pardon for all the trouble they had caused him and promising the blindest obedience for the future the natives of the island when at the dawn of day they had beheld the ships hovering on their coast had supposed them monsters which had issued from the deep during the night they had crowded to the beach and watched their movements with awful anxiety their veering about apparently without effort and the shifting and furling of their sails resembling huge wings filled them with astonishment when they beheld their boats approach the shore and a number of strange beings clad in glittering steel or raiment of various colors landing upon the beach they fled in affright to the woods finding however that there was no attempt to pursue nor molest them they gradually recovered from their terror and approached the spaniards with great awe frequently prostrating themselves on the earth and making signs of adoration during the ceremonies of taking possession they remained gazing in timid admiration at the complexion the beards the shining armor and splendid dress of the spaniards the admiral particularly attracted their attention from his commanding height his air of authority his dress of scarlet and the deference which was paid him by his companions all which pointed him out to be the commander when they had still further recovered from their fears they approached the spaniards touched their beards and examined their hands and faces admiring their whiteness columbus was pleased with their gentleness and confiding simplicity and suffered their scrutiny with perfect acquiescence winning them by his benignity they now supposed that the ships had sailed out of the crystal firmament which bounded their horizon or had descended from above on their ample wings and that these marvellous beings were inhabitants of the skies the natives of the island were no less objects of curiosity to the spaniards differing as they did from any race of men they had ever seen their appearance gave no promise of either wealth or civilization for they were entirely naked and painted with a variety of colors with some it was confined merely to a part of the face the nose or around the eyes with others it extended to the whole body and gave them a wild and fantastic appearance their complexion was of a tawny or copper hue and they were entirely destitute of beards their hair was not crisp like the recently discovered tribes of the african coast under the same latitude but straight and coarse partly cut short above their ears but some locks were left long behind and falling upon their shoulders their features though obscured and disfigured by paint were agreeable they had lofty foreheads and remarkably fine eyes they were of moderate stature and well shaped most of them appeared to be under thirty years of age there was but one female with them quite young naked like her companions and beautifully formed as columbus supposed himself to have landed on an island at the extremity of india he called the natives by the general appellation of indians which was universally adopted before the true nature of his discovery was known and has since been extended to all the aborigines of the new world the islanders were friendly and gentle their only arms were lances hardened at the end by fire or pointed with a flint or the teeth or bone of a fish there was no iron to be seen nor did they appear acquainted with its properties 
for when a drawn sword was presented to them they unguardedly took it by the edge columbus distributed among them colored caps glass beads hawks bells and other trifles such as the portuguese were accustomed to trade with among the nations of the gold coast of africa they received them eagerly hung the beads around their necks and were wonderfully pleased with their finery and with the sound of the bells the spaniards remained all day on shore refreshing themselves after their anxious voyage amidst the beautiful groves of the island and returned on board late in the evening delighted with all they had seen on the following morning at break of day the shore was thronged with the natives some swam off to the ships others came in light barks which they called canoes formed of a single tree hollowed and capable of holding from one man to the number of forty or fifty these they managed dexterously with paddles and if overturned swam about in the water with perfect unconcern as if in their natural element riding their canoes with great facility and bailing them with calabashes they were eager to procure more toys and trinkets not apparently from any idea of their intrinsic value but because everything from the hands of the strangers possessed a supernatural virtue in their eyes as having been brought from heaven they even picked up fragments of glass and earthenware as valuable prizes they had but few objects to offer in return except parrots of which great numbers were domesticated among them and cotton yarn of which they had abundance and would exchange large balls of five and twenty pounds weight for the merest trifle they brought also cakes of a kind of bread called cassava which constituted a principal part of their food and was afterwards an important article of provisions with the spaniards it was formed from a great root called yucca which they cultivated in fields this they cut into small morsels which they grated or scraped and strained in a press making a broad thin cake which was afterwards dried hard and would keep for a long time being steeped in water when eaten it was insipid but nourishing though the water strained from it in the preparation was a deadly poison there was another kind of yucca destitute of this poisonous quality which was eaten in the root either boiled or roasted the avarice of the discoverers was quickly excited by the sight of small ornaments of gold worn by some of the natives in their noses these the latter gladly exchanged for glass beads and hawks bells and both parties exulted in the bargain no doubt admiring each other's simplicity as gold however was an object of royal monopoly in all enterprises of discovery columbus forbade any traffic in it without his express sanction and he put the same prohibition on the traffic for cotton reserving to the crown all trade for it wherever it should be found in any quantity he inquired of the natives where this gold was procured they answered him by signs pointing to the south where he understood them dwelt a king of such wealth that he was served in vessels of wrought gold he understood also that there was land to the south the southwest and the northwest and that the people from the last mentioned quarter frequently proceeded to the southwest in quest of gold and precious stones making in their way descents upon the islands and carrying off the inhabitants several of the natives showed him scars of wounds received in battles with these invaders 
it is evident that a great part of this fancied intelligence was self-delusion on the part of columbus for he was under a spell of the imagination which gave its own shapes and colors to every object he was persuaded that he had arrived among the islands described by marco polo as lying opposite cathay in the chinese sea and he construed everything to accord with the account given of those opulent regions thus the enemies which the natives spoke of as coming from the northwest he concluded to be the people of the mainland of asia the subjects of the great khan of tartary who were represented by the venetian traveller as accustomed to make war upon the islands and to enslave their inhabitants the country to the south abounding in gold could be no other than the famous island of Topango, and the king who was served out of vessels of gold must be the monarch whose magnificent city and gorgeous palace covered with plates of gold had been extolled in such splendid terms by marco polo the island where columbus had thus for the first time set his foot upon the new world was called by the natives guanahani it still retains the name of san salvador which he gave to it end of chapter three